Hi, I'm Brie. I'm Mar. And I'm Alexis. And this is Journeys to Journos. Where we connect with fellow journalists on their journeys. And hear what they've learned along the way. Hey, it's Mariah here. Before we get into this episode with the incredible Bianca Grolo, we just want to check in and thank everyone for tuning in so far to season two of J to J. You know, this is a passion project for us, and we're totally still figuring out the technicalities of audio and everything, but we've learned so much from the substance of these conversations, and we hope you have too. Now, for this episode, we speak with fellow proud Boricua Bianca on her experience of working as an independent journalist. You've totally seen Bianca on your TikTok for you page or on YouTube recommended, reporting on the ins and outs of what's going on in her home island of Puerto Rico. Here on J to J, she gives us insight into her journey and what working for yourself really looks like in the news industry. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Guys, we are so excited for independent journalist Bianca Graulau to be joining us. Bianca was born and raised in Puerto Rico before going to New York to attend Syracuse Newhouse for her bachelor's. Like many successful broadcast journalism majors, Bianca found success post-grad as a reporter in top local market stations, including Univision KUVS and ABC 10 Sacramento, where she received a reporting Emmy. Eventually, Bianca decided to make the switch to working independently, where she has since reported bilingual content about her home island of Puerto Rico on platforms like YouTube and TikTok, where she's gained over 650,000 followers across all platforms. Bianca, gracias por estar aquí. Thank you for joining us. Gracias a ustedes. It's my honor. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you. I think we're going to kind of start going back to the beginning of your journey. If you could kind of tell us when you realized you had a passion for storytelling and when did you know or did you always know that journalism was going to be kind of the route or the path that you would take? I didn't know. So I think I was approaching senior year and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I knew I wasn't very good at math or science. So, you know, it was about time I had to figure it out. Um, I was class president when I was a junior and I liked like public speaking. I liked history and I took one journalism class in high school and I was like, okay, this could work. Uh, and then I went to Syracuse University to visit and I learned about their program and I loved it. So I was like, it'd be really cool if they accepted me. So they did. And that's how I kind of fell into journalism. And then once I became a journalism student, specifically broadcast journalism, I started loving it. So I remember by my senior year of college, I was so excited to like go out and be a local reporter. So I knew that that I had picked something that I was passionate about. That must have been such a transition from Puerto Rico to basically almost Canada and upstate New York. I don't know how you <laughs> made that transition happen. Well, Bianca, on the podcast, we often talk about the constant changes that the media has had to make because of the boom of the internet. During your years in traditional newsrooms, did you always have a knack for the digital side of storytelling? Was there a moment when you realized there was serious appeal in using social media platforms to reach mass audiences? Yes, and I remember it happened when I was in the Sacramento market. I had already transitioned over to English news. I was doing ABC 10 at the time. And I remember that I did my story for the day, but I felt like 
I, you know, the packages that you do for local news are a minute 15, a minute 30. So you can't always include the full interviews and they're good things that just don't make it to the final story. And I remember thinking, you know, I should stay back and maybe stay an extra 30, 45 minutes and do another little video and just post it on Facebook. I mean, at the time, maybe I had, I don't know, like a thousand followers, 2000 followers. So then I did that just because I felt like there was more to the story that people should see. I posted it directly to my Facebook and it got like a hundred thousand views. And I was like, whoa, it reached people, you know, it reached people outside of my followers. And I just got so excited about that. This was at the time when Facebook was really pushing video and Facebook was really like what we use primarily for social media. And I remember getting really excited about that and starting to see that potential. So all of a sudden I was like, wait, I don't have to go through my main station, my local news station to reach people. I could just go on social media and speak to them directly. I kind of like this. So then that's when I decided that I wanted to kind of try that out. And after that job, when my contract expired, is when I started experimenting with that. And it was the first time I tried to go independent. So again, because Facebook was pushing video, I just started posting stories directly. You know, I picked up a camera with my friend, we started traveling, documenting story using the skills we had acquired in college and through our first few local news jobs, and putting stories on the internet and getting millions of views, things that we weren't able to accomplish with our regular jobs. So we really loved that. But of course, we were not making money. I, I posted a video recently on my Instagram, kind of like going back to that time, explaining what that was like, because you would get millions of views on Facebook, but you didn't really have a way to monetize that yet. So I was a driver for Lyft at the time because I had left my job. So in order to support myself, I had to do things like driving for Lyft, teaching English online, tickets in China in order to be able to pay for my reporting. So I, I had all these little jobs and then I, in my extra time, I would sit down, edit videos and post them online. And that's kind of how I did it the first time. But at some point I had to go back and get another job. Yeah, at that time, you know, definitely kind of like daunting and stressful kind of trying to switch jobs. And do you have any like tips for someone else who's trying to freelance? What did you learn from making that jump from, I'd say, like traditional station news to like this freelance um, mindset? I always say that I don't think it's for everyone. You have to be okay with a particular lifestyle and the instability that comes with it. For me, I, I didn't choose to be this way, but I am the kind of person who fears staying stuck more than I fear instability. So for me, I was willing to not know where my next paycheck was going to come from as long as I was doing something that I loved and that really lit a fire in me. So what I would say is that if you feel this passionate about any kind of content creation, but specifically journalism, that you have to be okay with that uncertainty, but that it is so worth it, that there's always a way. And, and that's what I found out. You know, I had to go back and get a job in 2016. You know, in 2017, I got my next job. And I had to do that for a few more years and I wanted to gain more experience. And, you know, I needed to, to be able to go back to doing the daily stories. But then when I tried again, which was now in 2020, I was ready to do it full on. And, and now I had more experience and I knew of ways to make it more sustainable. I had created a community of people who were willing to support my work directly. And if it felt less lonely, so to speak, 
And, and I always say that I feel like this is the result of a community. Like I truly feel like I have a community behind me. This is not just me putting stories. It's not me speaking to an audience. This is the result of a community coming together and supporting each other. I mean, I just went to Hawaii to do a story and we stayed with one of the people who donated to make the story happen. Like she reached out to us saying, hey, here's you know what I can donate for this story. I hope uh, this helps. And we're like, we reached out back and we get to talking and she's like, well, you know, I have a spare room if you want to stay with me. Like, this is the kind of the kind of reporting that I'm doing, which is like, it, there's, there's a lot of like community building and all these little things and all this support is what leads to, to being able to do these stories. That's and I'm sorry, I didn't even answer your question. You asked me for tips. <laughs> so no, no, no. What I would say is, what I would say is uh, to create community. To I think the problem that we have in journalism is that a lot of times, because we want to create that separation of you know I'm the reporter and I don't get too involved in stories, that can sometimes be detrimental because we create that distance with the audience. When in reality, you know, as a Puerto Rican, I feel the same issues that my audience feels, and. I don't want to pretend like I am not affected by those issues too. So I think this new form of journalism is allowing us to present ourselves more as humans and as part of the communities we're reporting on, as opposed to like, I'm here to interview you from a distance. So my advice would be to focus on community building, to to be okay with being a human um, and, and to show that side of you and take it step by step. But in my experience, uh, things work out if you do it with an open heart and, and your heart is really in it. Wow, that's like, that's so beautiful. And so awesome to see that, you know, the community you built really supports you in the work that you've done. When did you really figure out how to monetize the work you've been doing in, in a sustainable way? I'm still trying to figure it out. But so far, what has worked for me so well is I started a Patreon. I remember someone suggested this back in 2016 when I first tried to go independent. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, you know, taking money directly from people. I don't know how I feel about that. You know, and I was very shy about it. And through, you know, hearing from other people who had done crowdfunding for their art, through understanding how it works to really build that community, not just ask for something, but have this reciprocal sort of relationship. I was like, you know what? I, I could try this. And, and once I started, it led to to so many beautiful things because it led to those relationships so i started with patreon and then you know you monetize social media like youtube TikTok. it's not a lot so uh, like i said this is why i said it's not for everyone because you have to be willing you know for me it was a lot of cutting costs I, I had a different life when i was living in the states and i came back home and my focus was on having a lifestyle where i cut my costs so that you know what what's coming in is able to support the basics for me so I monetize social media, I have Patreon, and I just started to do sponsorships. Now, this is a tricky one because as you know, as journalists, when you work for an outlet, you don't worry about advertising. Someone else does that to create that separation. When you're on social media and you're the one promoting services and goods, you have to be very picky about who you associate with and what kinds of things you're promoting. So I, had taken my time in in deciding how I'm going to do that. But thankfully, I started to be able to work with companies that 
whose values align with mine. And so far, I've, I've only done one official sponsorship, but that, that's a way that, that will allow me to have revenue to be able to hire people and make this more sustainable. So hopefully we keep growing that. That's so interesting, but also it seems incredibly fulfilling to be mm -hmm. able to, you know, go independent. What freedom has that offered you editorially? I feel like we often discuss on this podcast, a lot of the times, like our parents think, oh, wow, like you're in this newsroom, you must call the shots. And we're like, oh, that's pretty interesting. We're actually <laughs> definitely entry level reporters and have to answer to a lot of, you know, different departments and people. So what has the freedom of being an independent journalist offered you? It's amazing and it's scary because on the one hand, you know, and Mariah, you might know this, you know, when you're trying to pitch certain stories um, that your editors might think, well, does that really appeal to our widest audience? You have to fight for those stories. I was getting tired of fighting for those stories, to be honest with you. And, you know, I so admire the journalists that are still out there fighting the good fight. But for me, I was tapping out. I was like, I need my energy for other things that are not convincing my boss that this, is, that this is a worthwhile story. So on that side of things, I'm able to tell these, these stories and, and I get feedback directly from the community. Then, you know, if they're interested in the story, they're going to watch it, they're going to interact. If they're not, then it's not going to do so well. And that's feedback for me. But I'm able to make those decisions and and that gives me that freedom and satisfaction that that I'm hearing directly from them. On the other hand, it's very scary because for someone like me, that decisions can be sometimes tough and I can get a little stuck. You don't have, you, you can't rely on someone else to let you know what you can and can't cover and how to cover it. So it can be scary also because if you make a mistake, it's just you. Like when you work for an outlet, you have checks, checkpoints you know you have someone who will look at your script and then if something happens you also have someone to back you up it could it's not just like mariah made a mistake but you know let's talk to the editor and who else looked at the script and and you have sort of like someone to fall back on so for me that was like the scary part thankfully i've been able to have enough funds to hire fact checkers to work with lawyers and that has been you know a slow process but especially for stories that are very delicate and stories that are investigations i always make sure to have those extra pair of eyes of like experienced people who can really check my facts and and give me that important feedback so it's both it's it's a great thing but it also can be really scary and and that's the delicate balance that you have to have when you're independent i think that's so interesting hearing about kind of the mechanics of it and how you kind of have to position yourself and what it really means to be an independent journalist. Can you kind of paint a picture for us of like all the different hats that you wear and the different considerations that you have to take? And you were talking a bit about sponsorships and kind of the ethics that go along with that too. Kind of what are the really big picture things that you're thinking about in terms of your brand and the presentation of information that you're bringing and kind of just all of those pieces that come together for you to do the work that you do. Yeah, you know, at the beginning, it was just me, like there was no one else. Um, I was doing every single aspect of it, you know, the shooting, the editing, the writing, the fact checking, the thumbnail, the posting on social media. And to be honest, I still do most of the time about 80% of that. 
if I have enough funds for a story, then I could do maybe 60% of that. But that whole branding that you talked about, it, it was like a whole new thing for me because when you're a local reporter, you're just one more local reporter and the station kind of decides the feel and you just go along with it. When it's just you, then you're really making these decisions about like how much of my personality I want to share, how much of my personal life I want to share and how much of me I want to include here. And you know how social media is. It could be strictly stories. It could be a lot about my life and, and it's up to you to find that balance. So for me, you know, if you look at my content from two years, even a year or three months ago, you, you might see a change. It's constantly changing based on how I'm feeling, how, like how much I want to share, how much I, I feel like it goes with, you know, you know, my ultimate purpose when it comes to like, sharing these stories and telling these stories. So it's, it's ever changing. Um, and how many hats I wear really depends of the collaborations I've been able to have and, and the support that I'm able to have when negotiating those uh, sponsorships or fact checking my story. So it depends. Sometimes I have to be super involved. And, and other times I have the support to be able to scale back a little bit and maybe move on to the next project. I think kind of digging into that a little bit more in terms of the projects that you have been working on in the last few months, you've done tons of stories on Puerto Rico's battle with gentrification, power outages, statehood, protected lands and beaches, a lot that goes on on the island and within the island. Um, of these stories, which would you say has felt particularly fulfilling and kind of you've really invested yourself into. I feel like they're all As my if babies. there's just one. I was going to say. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if you can pick, but. I know. One that um, kind of stands out that kind of took either a new approach or a new piece out of you or something that was really like unique to the storytelling. Yes, I would say it's the investigation on the land. Um, and it's funny because Mariah interviewed me shortly after that video that I posted it, when the story became personal because there was an issue with land um, behind my house. But it all came together because I was already sort of investigating the land issue in Puerto Rico. So that's to say that, you know, it has been many months in the making and it was also a big community effort. You know, after that video, I, you know, focused on the reporting and I reached out to people to specifically fund, help me fund that one story. And, you know, we were able to, to crowdfund that entire story and hire people for the different aspects of that story. So I will say that one's special to me because so many people collaborated, but also because I was able to put, put together these elements that I had always been trying to do when I was working for outlets. I wanted to do truly investigative stories like data driven and that's what we did you know i requested the information from the government we analyzed it we looked at it a million times we went over it we were able to make graphics to make it digestible for the audience and uh you know all those elements that made this like beautiful piece and it's not one of my most watched pieces you know it's a heavy story but it's important to me because i felt like we were able to go deeper with that story. And 
even though it's not like one of the most watched, the feedback I got from people who have been following the journey, it was sort of that culmination of them seeing, you know, we contributed a little bit. There were so many people, we're talking more than 300 people between the people who like supported it, the people who worked on it, and then they see it come together and getting that feedback was just so beautiful to me. So it is so beautiful even to witness as an audience member. I think what's so interesting is you know, obviously my algorithm as a Puerto Rican, I expect to see Bianca mm -hmm. on my on my feed, but it's so interesting that, you know, we have Brianna and Alexis who come from completely different lives, um, who often see you as well. And so within that broad range of the people that are in your audience, I, I have this question for you, which is, what is the balance between creating content that reaches both Puerto Ricans that are themselves on the island and have longed for one of their own to accurately invest in their stories, while also crea creating content for other people, maybe people within and outside of the diaspora that are looking for a better grasp of what's happening in the Caribbean. That has been so special to me. And, and it makes me so happy to know that I've been in your For You page. Because again, as you know, this is a struggle that we have in newsrooms. I always have to make a pitch like, you know, we're in Sacramento, but there is this small Puerto Rican community that would be interested in this story. Or when I was in Miami or wherever I was, you always had to make that pitch and you have to show them the numbers and justify this as opposed to, we're talking about humans. We're all humans and we care about human stories, period. So going on TikTok has allowed me to explore that and going from something that was supposed to be niche that not a lot of people were going to care about because it's just puerto ricans to being able to reach so many people and get those comments of i had no idea thank you like i i you know puerto rico to me was an afterthought sort of thing or i i knew very little about it and to see people who don't necessarily have any direct connection to puerto rico but all of a sudden be interested in these stories has been very gratifying to me and i think I see the response from different platforms and how different they are because I have a mostly Puerto Rican audience on Instagram, for example, and I see that feedback and, and I know um, the response to a particular story, you know, it's the story that they already know about, but they're happy to see someone talk about it. On TikTok is different because you're reaching a lot of people who are not Puerto Rican, who maybe are not tuned into this. And I've had to learn how the different platforms work because on TikTok, you know, you're reaching an audience that you're starting from zero and having to present for the first time um, this content. So it's also about knowing how to present it. Um, and again, make it in a way that is simple enough uh, for people who have never heard about it before, be able to digest it and, and, and understand it. Absolutely. What about on the language front? Did you, are you conscious of making content that's both for English and Spanish audiences? Yes, and I get these comments all the time that, you know, why are you speaking English? You know, it, aren't you Puerto Rican, speak Spanish? Or even the opposite. Then when I started doing Spanish content, they're like, I don't understand, make it in English. <laughs> I'm like, I wish, I wish I could make it in 10 languages. But you know, we're, we're doing what we can here. So I started in English, to be honest with you, first, because the small audience I had coming out of my traditional like news outlets was already in English. I was doing English reporting. So, you know, it wasn't a, a huge audience, but it was a little audience to, to be able to start with. Uh, and then from there, th there's this very interesting thing. When I was reporting in Spanish, 
I got a lot of pressure to change the way I spoke. As you know, Mariah, uh, Puerto Ricans have a very distinct accent. It's just, you know, different than what you hear on TV. And I was told a lot that that was not appropriate for TV and, and that I had to pronounce all my S's and my B's and my R's. And as a Puerto Rican, that's really hard because I only know how to speak English one way. Like that's all you get. But in Spanish, yes, I could force myself to speak a certain way, but it's not natural. So that was another factor that for some reason, even though Spanish is my first language, now I am more comfortable reporting in English than in Spanish because in Spanish it feels weird because I was told so much that that's unprofessional and that my accent is not appropriate. So those factors played in. And then the other thing is that I know there's a lot of great reporting happening in Puerto Rico in Spanish for Puerto Ricans. I knew there was a gap. I knew that in order to reach people outside of Puerto Rico and even the diaspora, the people, the Puerto Ricans who are not in Puerto Rico who maybe don't speak English, I mean, don't speak Spanish, that audience was really tapped into and they tell me all the time. I had nowhere to go to, to understand what was happening in Puerto Rico because I don't speak Spanish that well. So all those factors came together to uh, sort of determine what language I use primarily. That said, I have done some stories in Spanish and if it were up to me, I would translate every single story. But what I'm trying to do now is to have subtitles in both English and Spanish for my stories. And then I'm doing this sort of podcast in Spanish and that's like full conversations in Spanish. That feels a lot more natural because I'm just talking to people as opposed to reporting. Uh, so that's also my way to provide content in Spanish. That's so interesting, especially having to, you know, navigate both of those worlds and how those, you know, sorts of professionalisms like still leak into different parts. Like I, I remember being told your hair is not supposed to be a certain way and it comes out mm -hmm. in so many different ways, but even, you know, crossing languages, um, you know, there's still that expectation. And, and you touched on, I think um, you touched on part of this before about being in a bigger newsroom and having to pitch, you know, oh, they, you should cover this because, or you should, you know, here's why, here's the community. What do you think, you know, U.S. publications are really getting wrong in terms of covering Puerto Rico? Because, you know, they are a part of the U.S. And I think a lot of publications really just miss, you know, some of the importance of that. Yes, I think what happens is that you only see the big networks here when there's some tragedy. There's Hurricane Maria or there's a big outage or there's an earthquake. There's life in Puerto Rico outside of that. and. I think going beneath that surface and really talking to the communities and understanding what's really happening here day to day would give a fuller picture of what's happening. And that's what I've tried to do. I tried to go beyond that message because honestly, it bothered me. It bothered me as a Puerto Rican and as a reporter to have this messaging of poor Puerto Ricans. They just can't catch a break like all the horrible things that happened there. Yeah, but there's also, the, you have to talk about the nuance of it, right? You have communities that are doing amazing things and providing the basics for their neighbors. Like these stories still blow my mind after two years of doing this full time. I think people need to hear those stories. I also think that there are layers to what's happening and it's not as simple as, 
the U.S. gives a bunch of federal money to Puerto Rico, and then, you know, there's a lot of corruption, and oh well, you know, one day they're going to have to become a state to change things, or maybe not. I, I think there's so many more layers to that, and that's what I try to explore. And for me, it has been a self-discovery journey. There's so many things that I didn't learn in school that for me, I feel very fortunate that I am able to explore this history, understand it better, go beneath the service and share it as I go, as I learn. And that's what I've been trying to do with my content. I think that's really, you know, a really good insight into what that what that gap is between the coverage and the issues. And, you know, and I think you get to do a lot on the independent journalism side, but I think that people may also have their misconceptions about how that works as well. Like, what do you think people what do you think people miss? What do they what do they get wrong about being an independent journalist and what that really means? I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand, first of all, that I'm a journalist to begin with. I think people see me on TikTok and they're just like, oh, here's this Puerto Rican content creator, uh, which I don't blame anyone for. You know, I, I know that maybe we've been trained to see a reporter a certain way. And I used to look very reporter like, you know, with my hair the way it was supposed to be and the typical broadcast dresses. Um, so I understand that now they see me just like without makeup or wet hair, just doing a TikTok with my phone. And they're like, who is this person? So I get that. Um, but I don't know, I, I guess I feel because I have such good communication with that core uh, community that I've created, that I've been able to share my process and share the behind the scenes as much as I can, because I do want them to be tuned in, Because mostly because I think it's so cool. I just want them to know all these things, like how we're creating something out of nothing. So I think I, I've been able to communicate that, but yeah, I think a lot of times people might just see you you know, as an activist, as a content creator, as not necessarily as a trained journalist. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I just want them to see how much goes into making sure that I am giving them the correct facts and that I am giving them all the sides of the story fairly. Because I know that a lot of times I might do a Twitter thread or a quick TikTok and, and it might seem like, oh, you did a minute TikTok. But those three or four hours of research and making calls and verifying and you know scripting the story out. So I, I guess that's what I would want them to know that, that there's a lot of care into the information that I put out. And that doesn't mean I'm not gonna make mistakes, but I always tell my audience that I want them to call me in because I'm still learning and I am gonna miss things. And, and I don't want it to be, you know, that they think that I'm gonna have an adverse reaction, but instead that I am going to learn from them, that, that it's not just a one-way communication. Totally. I think that's why we were so excited to talk to you on this pod is because we totally watch you on socials, but we know that you have like the integrity and full processing of a journalist, of the full shebang. Um, but you're able to intersect that with where people are, where audiences are, which is on their phones majority of the time. I think it's so interesting that you brought up, you know, you think of like the news pundit with their nice hair and all the perfectionism of them. But I think a lot of times that leaks into social media. But interestingly enough, a few months ago, you had an honest and raw post about your mental health. And it was so refreshing to see considering how put together it feels like we have to be either, you know, in the newsroom or on social media. So how was it opening up to, you know, your followers and what do you think the importance is of being, you know, real and honest when it comes to that? It's a fine line for me and I'm always towing that line 
you know, a lot of times I have this voice in my head that goes like, Bianca, no one cares. Like, tell them the story. Like, you know, why, why are you talking about this? But other times I think, wait, the only reason I know these things is because other people have shared. And the only reason I'm able to connect these dots is because I've seen people talk about this on social media. Also, I, I when I made that post, there was a moment that I felt like it was very serious. I was like, uh-oh. It wasn't just like, I'm feeling off today. It was like, oh, my body's shutting down. So I try to be in constant communication with my audience and, and tell them what I'm working on and, and put out content. But I felt that I, I wasn't going to be able to continue to push my body at that point. So it was my sort of like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. I don't know what's going to happen, but I really think I need to take care of myself before, you know, I feel like I combust because right now I'm pushing it too, too hard. So it was scary because it feels so vulnerable. And yes, I have a lot of support, but you know, you always have a few people who are like trolls or haters and you never know how people are going to use that information that feels so intimate. But I just felt at that point that I kind of needed to be honest about where I was. And it was so good because I just did an update about this today. It's just like things, when things feel like they're going so well, I'm sure this is not a unique experience. Your mind will start tricking you into like, mm, something bad must be about to happen. You know, like it's not always this good. So my mind was doing that to me a lot. And that can be a very isolating experience. And honestly, I my friends know this. I'm used to just like cocooning. And if I'm going through something, I'm just, I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want to take my mess onto anyone else's home. And that was my way of forcing myself to not isolate myself. And honestly, it was so great because I got all that support and all that love. I still wanted to like become a hermit because I, I felt like it was too much. I felt so heavy at the time, but it was so beautiful because I felt very supported. And that's what it's been feeling like. It's been feeling like I, like I'm not alone, and and I know that sounds so cliche, but it truly felt like there were people who cared beyond my content. They were like reminding me of something so basic, but that I tend to forget. Like, hey, you kind of need to slow down if you want to keep doing this long term. And I'm like, oh yeah. damn, you're right. Okay, that that makes sense. Okay, let me take a deep breath. So so it's been a process of like internalizing that and believing that that's true. Absolutely. And although you say you felt a little uncertain about it, I'll let you know that it definitely helped me to like, see that transparency and that honesty. And I'm sure other people that follow you could relate and felt seen. Thank you. Thank you for saying that because it, some people have said that and it is validation because sometimes I'll be like, Oh, should I delete that? Was that too much? And hearing that makes me feel like, wait, like a lot of people go through this. Like you're not special. It's just what humans go through. And it feels good to, to hear that and, and to feel, you know, like we can learn from each other's processes. I think that's an interesting point too, especially hearing you talk about kind of how you decide what to share especially on socials and in your work and kind of making those distinctions. Can you talk a little bit about making those choices, but then also keeping in mind how you're building an audience and how you're building a brand specifically on TikTok? I think that's a really interesting space for journalists, especially right now. It feels like such a new kind of tool to be using in the storytelling process. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So again, I mean, if you go back to see the beginning of my content, it was all over the place. I was trying to figure out what TikTok was, how I could apply it to journalism. And I remember just searching, like literally searching the word news, like news, news station, news reporter, just to see what people had done out there. And there just wasn't much because it was so new. But I knew that video is my strong suit. That's how I communicate best. So I was like, I need to take advantage of this opportunity because I, I want to share my stories. So it's been a process of understanding the platform. And again, if you go back, you'll see me trying to jump on trends, being all kinds of crazy. But I was just trying to understand how to apply it to the message that I was trying to put out and, and just becoming a little bit more comfortable with the stuff I do um, and, you know, with the format I have now. And, you know, a month from now, a year from now, it'll probably be different. But I think, yeah, you, you would have seen a lot more of a mix of like different personal things because we talk personal, but personal can be so many things. It could be a picture of your dog. It could be your mental health journey. It could be what you ate today. It could be so many things. But for me, it, it was asking myself, you put this out there, what's the point? Like what kind of community are you building with this kind of content? Like who, what's the audience you're attracting with this content? And what's the conversation that's gonna be started through this content? So I only wanna be creating content that I enjoy because if not, I'm going to burn out and content that that creates the kind of conversations I'm interested in participating in the kind of like community building, talking about issues that need to be resolved to make people's lives better. So it, it has been understanding and seeing that feedback from the audience to, to know what kind of content really appeals to them, but also that I am happy to put out. I think that's, you know, a really awesome way to kind of navigate that space of like you know i it's a personal and professional and kind of all mixed together and i got to you know i was fortunately able to like work on socials for um and my past job so i was working on usa today's TikTok, and i was like mm -hmm. okay we got to do the news but jump on these trends and like it's a lot to figure out so you know i really respect like the niche that you've kind of built for yourself in that space i think it's really awesome where can our listeners find you and What's the best way for them to support you and your work? Yeah, they can find me all over. I mean, what I use most is TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, YouTube, I would say, is where you find what, my longer stories where I pour most of my energy and work into. But I also put out regular content on TikTok, uh, kind of summaries of what's going on at the time. So, yeah, they can find me everywhere with my name. My last name's a little complicated, but it's G-R-A-U-L-A-U. First name, Bianca, Bianca Garolo. And they can support my content and all those platforms. I also have a Patreon and you can find me there by my name too. Amazing. Well, before we let you go, Bianca, we do have a few rapid fire questions to get to know you just a little bit on a more personal level. Are you ready? That's a little scary, but yes. <laughs> okay, number one, how do you take your coffee? I don't drink much coffee. It gives me anxiety. So you're, you're just a tea like person? adrenaline only or? I, I, I used to drink it with almond milk every now and then I do, but honestly, I'm learning my lesson. The last few times I've been like, mistake, don't do it again. <laughs> Too much anxiety. Okay, <laughs> I'm a tea no person. No cafecitos for Bianca. Um, okay, number two, what's the first app you open when you grab your phone? I guess it depends. If I just posted something on TikTok, I'll go back to check how it did overnight. Um, if someone messaged me, then I'll go to that messaging app. So it depends on the day. Depends on the day. Okay. If you weren't a journalist, what would you be? 
I can't think of anything. And I've thought about this before and I can't think of anything yet. Check in with me in 10 years. Well, that's how you know you're in the right <laughs> job and industry. I know, right? <laughs> Alrighty. Um, do you consider yourself more of an introvert or an extrovert? Introvert. Yeah. I don't know if, last... that, if that surprises anyone, but yes, introvert. I feel like we've been getting a lot of introverts on the pod, which I think you would think journalists maybe wouldn't say that, but yeah. All right. Last but not least, Twitter. Love it or hate it? Honestly, mostly hate it. Like, I stopped tweeting. I, I never tweeted. The only reason I started tweeting was so I could take pictures of it and then post a screenshot on Instagram. And then from there, some tweets started going viral. So I was like, oh, maybe I should give it some love. And that's when I get the most like hate, but but it's not even like constructive criticism. It's just like hate for the sake of hate. So honestly, I haven't tweeted in a while and I don't know if I want to keep tweeting at all. You're not missing much. It's a zoo on there. <laughs> well, Bianca, thank you so much. We learned so much from this conversation and we hope our listeners did as well. As Bianca said, you can find, find her on all social media platforms. And yeah, we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Journeys to Journos. If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave us a review. To stay all caught up on the pod, our guests and episodes to come, be sure to follow us on socials at JTJ underscore podcast. We'll see you next week.